0: This episode is part of The Pool's Local Officials Stronger Together podcast series. It's one way we serve local officials through integrity, public service, fiscal responsibility, and operational excellence. As always, please direct specific questions about coverage to your member services manager. Welcome to the second part of STP Episode 10. I'm your host, Scott Houston. In Part 1, we spoke to Riskpool Pool staff about the basics of workers' compensation. In this episode, we'll do a deeper dive into a special provision in workers' compensation law known as the First Responder's Disease Presumption. As with each episode, I'll give you some basic information, visit with an expert in the subject, and then give you some action items to ensure that you're getting everything you can from our partnership. I hope you've had a chance to listen to our prior episodes. Check out the STP podcast link on the front page of The Pool's website to find out more about those. Welcome back. Let's talk about the basics before we speak with Bobby Stokes, a longtime workers' comp attorney about the disease presumption law. In most cases, the fact that an injury is covered by workers' comp is pretty easy to determine, right? I was on the job fighting a fire, I was lifting a hose, and I injured my back. Pretty simple. It's covered by workers' comp. And it matters whether it's covered by workers' comp because, as opposed to me just using my normal health insurance, I don't have to pay anything at all for my medical treatment under workers comp, and just as important, I or my surviving spouse may be eligible for additional monetary benefits. Now the disease presumption law throws two additional variables into that injury construct that we just talked about. First, it applies to certain types of diseases rather than injuries, and second, It presupposes, or presumes, that a first responder contracted the disease because of his or her job. Firefighters and EMTs enjoy the most protection under the law because the presumption for them applies to many types of cancer. The law used to be unclear about which cancers were covered, but it was amended in 2019 to expressly list them. So now it includes cancer that originates at the stomach, colon, rectum, skin, prostate, testes, or brain non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, multiple myeloma, malignant melanoma, and renal cell carcinoma. So, let's say I'm a firefighter or EMT and I develop prostate cancer. If my cancer results in disability or death, the law presumes that I developed it during the course and scope of my employment, but only if, number one, I regularly responded on the scene to calls involving fires or firefighting, or, number two, I regularly responded to an event involving the documented release of radiation or a known or suspected carcinogen during my employment. And there's actually more criteria that have to be met as well. I must have received a physical examination when I started work that failed to reveal evidence of the disease. I must have been employed for five or more years as the firefighter. And the disease or illness must be discovered during my employment as a firefighter or EMT. A heart attack or stroke can create a presumption as well. In the case of those, a presumption applies for a firefighter or EMT, but in this case also to a peace officer who has one of these while they are either training or on duty and participating in non-routine stressful or strenuous activity. Also, tuberculosis or other respiratory illnesses that have a statistically positive correlation with service as a firefighter, EMT, or peace officer can also create a presumption. Now, interestingly, when COVID came to the U.S. in March of 2020, the pool determined that it is a respiratory illness and treated first responder workers' comp claims accordingly as presumptions. To date, we've had almost 4,000 of those claims, with 32 of them being fatalities. In 2021, the legislature came back and amended the law to expressly include COVID, and we'll talk more about that with our guest today, Bobby. Joining me now is Bobby Stokes, an attorney with the firm of Flehive, Ogden, and Latson. Bobby's been practicing workers' compensation law for decades, and he literally wrote the book on workers' comp. His firm authors the Texas Workers' Compensation Manual, which is a manual that's used by experts on all sides of the issue. Welcome, Bobby. The first question I have is whether presumptions in workers' comp are a new thing. There have always been presumptions in comp, not only in Texas, but also
1: in other jurisdictions. Presumptions that uh, if you were found uh, deceased in a place where work was to be performed, then there was a presumption that you were probably performing work at the time you died. The statutory presumptions, the heart-lung presumptions, the cancer presumptions, and now the COVID presumption, uh, have uh, it made a made a more recent entry into the workers' comp field, and in Texas, those presumptions were introduced in two thousand five.
0: So, how did the Texas statute for first responders come about in two thousand five? It was a national move, and uh, it was driven largely,
1: I think, by firefighters and the firefighter unions. But Texas followed in pace with other jurisdictions across the country.
0: It's clear that workers' comp remains a very structured system governed by statutes and rules, and I think that can sometimes lead to misunderstandings about why the pool takes certain positions about whether to accept and pay these presumption claims. These claims frequently involve very serious illnesses that are, in many cases, fatal. And, of course, we care deeply about the first responders' health and their family's future, but the law sometimes mean we simply can't pay benefits to a person who isn't eligible for them.
1: Yeah, it is a very structured dispute resolution system and most things in workers comp are pretty well established. Uh, we know what the rules are, we know what the interpretations are. The presumption statute is in in comp terms a relatively new statute and so There are things about the presumption statute that still have to be fleshed out, and the way that you flesh those out is through dispute resolution. You actually take a case to an administrative law judge, that case gets appealed to the appeals panel, and in some cases they may wind up on appeal in district court or at the court of appeals.
0: And what about the perception of the media or the public or even in some cases state legislators?
1: These are hard cases. They're Many cases, heart-wrenching cases, and they're difficult and they're challenging. Uh, there's a prohibition against making a gift of public funds, and as a consequence, if we believe, as a city, that a claim, no matter how how emotional, no matter how you know heartbreaking, if we don't believe it's covered by workers' compensation, we've got a responsibility as the city to question that claim. And if the employee or the employee's beneficiaries disagrees, they certainly have every right in the world to pursue that claim. And then the state agency, the Division of Workers' Comp, has a dispute resolution process that is established to try to resolve that dispute. And so that's what happens. And unfortunately, sometimes the press will get involved, and they will want to talk to the city about the city's position in the case, and we can't talk to them about that. We're talking about a private, protected health condition, and it's just not something that we're permitted to discuss publicly and certainly not permitted to discuss with the press.
0: Right, and what is sometimes lost in translation is that even if a workers' comp claim is denied— The first responder still has his or her health insurance. In other words, they aren't just left out to dry with no coverage.
1: Right. They don't get workers' comp benefits, but they give the full panoply of uh, municipal benefits that every employee of a city is entitled to, including the group health benefits and sick leave, accident leave, death benefits, and uh, life insurance benefits, that some municipalities provide.
0: I spoke earlier about how the pool treated first responder COVID claims as presumption claims from the very beginning, and that the legislature later passed a law, Senate Bill 22, mandating that we do that. Senate Bill 22 expressly created a COVID-19 presumption, but a first responder does have to satisfy certain criteria to take advantage of it. For example, they must have been employed in a COVID disaster area as declared by the governor. And the first responder must have been employed on a full-time basis, plus last been on duty not more than 15 days before the date they are diagnosed with COVID. And in fact, there's other time frames and conditions if they actually died from the disease. Tell me a little bit about claims that were filed with other entities that didn't initially accept them as presumption claims.
1: There were Other claims that were pursued by commercially insured employees as well as state employees, commercial insurers and the state workers' comp system took a decidedly more conservative approach, and the legislature pushed back on that interpretation. And the consequence of the very conservative approach that uh, state employees were subjected to and commercial employees were subjected to was uh, the new COVID presumption, which was created in Senate Bill 22, as you mentioned.
0: Okay, let's wrap up by talking about the mechanics of rebutting the presumption that a first responder developed a disease while at work. And let's focus on COVID.
1: Uh, You may have an employee who worked in the workplace, but during the 15 days immediately preceding, the employee was rarely there. And there were no other employees who were as a consequence uh, of COVID-19 during that time or who reported that they were ill. And during that 15 days, while the employee may have worked, they may also have uh, engaged in some activity that uh, exposed them to a much greater risk of developing covid Uh, For example, they went to a rock concert or they went on vacation with family and family members came back sick together with the employee.
0: Finally, again, with regard to COVID specifically, how do vaccines fit into that presumption?
1: There is no requirement that an employee obtain or that an employer offer an employee the opportunity to be vaccinated in order to qualify for a presumption under the new section 607.0545. Uh, that's the COVID presumption, and the COVID presumption applies whether you've been vaccinated, whether you haven't been vaccinated. It applies whether you were offered uh, vaccination and you declined it. Uh, it is simply vaccines are irrelevant to the construct of whether a presumption for COVID-19 Uh, applies.
0: Thanks, Bobby. Bobby's planning on retiring soon, and that will be a great loss to the pool and his other clients, but I'm super glad we got to visit with him before that. And we all wish him the best in his future endeavors. Okay. Let's talk about your action items for this episode. First, Make sure your first responders know that they can file a claim if they develop one of the covered illnesses in the presumption statute. Second, with regard to COVID-19 specifically, check out Episode 8 of our podcast on first responders and COVID-19 vaccines. It's much better to avoid a presumption claim altogether, and that episode has information that can help first responders and others decide whether a vaccine is right for them. Okay, that's it for this episode. Check out the others at the STP link on TMLIRP.org or by searching Local Officials Stronger Together on all the Apple podcast platforms.
1: To review written materials associated with the presentation or to ask Scott a question, please visit www.tmlirp.org and click on the Stronger Together podcast link. Please remember that the information in this episode is provided for informational purposes only and doesn't constitute legal advice. We recommend that you review the podcast and the accompanying written materials with your attorney prior to taking action.